Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Regina Lawless, who also helps us direct a spotlight on Black History Month with her life experiences shared in her book, Do You? A Journey of Success, Loss, and Learning to Live a More Meaningful Life. Regina Lawless, good morning, and thank you so greatly for being with us today. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Oh, I am so grateful that we're having this opportunity for so many reasons, uh, which I think will become known through the course of our conversation this morning. Uh, One of the big ones, of course, is the fact that you have this new book, something that you felt would be something you do in your life. And here it is, you know, just freshly out available to all of us called Do You? A Journey of Success, Loss and Learning to Live a more meaningful life, meaningful spelt with F-U-L-L more boldly, beautiful, you know, play on words there and deeply meaningful. And it really, it's such a beautiful book for us. Uh, these colors, you know, the pinks and the oranges <laughs> and reds, you know, are, are really striking. You know, they fit into what we're feeling about February, the launch date uh, of of hearts and love and heart health. And all of that is bundled into this book. It's very succinct. That is going to be a wonderful guide, I feel, for any and all of us on our journey. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm really proud of this book. This is the first book that I've written. And um, I say in the acknowledgments that I, I knew that I'd always write a book. I've always been a reader and I've always loved to journal, but I didn't quite know what that book would be about. And, um, uh, you know, sadly, readers will find that um, the impetus of this book was my husband passing away suddenly from a heart attack. Um, and he, he passed away in May of 2021. And that was at a point where I was at the height of my career and, um, really thought that I had all of my life planned out before me. I've always been someone who's had goals and plans and, and his death upended all of that and, and really forced me to go on this journey to just recalibrate what success really means. Um, and then find, you know, through a series of, of adventures and, and trial and error, which, which, which folks will learn about uh, if they read the book, um, I came up with these kind of this five-part framework of how to live more meaningfully. So I'm, I, I can't wait for people to read it, and, and hopefully it touches people's hearts. I can't imagine it not touching our hearts and really impacting us to uh, really put into perspective, as you had to do in a very tragic way, put into perspective what our life and the meaning of life is about and and to really be open to how that journey takes us. Yeah, that was the biggest surprise for me. And I think for a lot of people, we are taught to work hard and strive. And um, I think we we think we have a lot more control of our lives than, than we do um, in terms of kind of the grand scheme of, of things. And, and I learned that um, life ebbs and flows and it's not predictable and you can't control for every outcome um, despite how hard we all try. And so through this journey, I've learned to let go a little bit or, or a lot of bit actually. Um, and you know, I still have goals and I, I'm still pursuing 
um, this new career as an author and a speaker, and I have a business that I started to help support black women leaders, um, find more balance and, and more bliss in their lives. But aside from that, I'm much more open to what happens, and I learn to be more adventurous and indulge and um, not take life so seriously and, and, and enjoy what comes. What could be more ideal than that? That That's really, I think, what it takes perhaps a lifetime for some people to discover. Tragically, you had this happen much too soon, having your husband die, he suffering a heart attack. One just doesn't expect that could happen because we're young, we're healthy, we've got these plans, right? We've got uh, hey. our careers, and, and then boom that strikes. Yeah, and he was 45. So talk about the um, importance of heart health. Like we had no idea that he was in jeopardy of a heart attack. Um, Now, he was diabetic, so that put him at increased risk. But, you know, he there were no signs that a heart attack was imminent. And so I think it's really important for people to you know, have their heart checked regularly and, and do do what you need to do to take care of yourself. Um, but, you know, as, as we see, sometimes that's, that's hard because you, you really don't know the state of, of your heart and how close you might be. And so sadly, that was our experience, but it's definitely made me more aware and something that even my son, who's 18 now, I got him checked for um, just to make sure his heart was okay. And that's something that I think it's so important for all of us to to do preventative care on. Absolutely. To see that predisposition because it's in the family and also in the black community, the stakes are even greater. For whatever reason, there is more of a predisposition. So to, to bring that awareness here and underscore that, I think, Regina, is so incredibly beneficial. Yeah, it really is. And, and, you know, it's it's very prevalent amongst black men and black women as well. To your point, just our community does have a disproportionate impact there. And I hope that this story will raise awareness. And, you know, you don't want to wait until you get older because, again, my husband was 45. So, you know, young, That that's what made this even more shocking. Um, I was 40 and widowed. You couldn't have told me that that would have happened. We thought we had our whole lives ahead of us, mm-hmm. and we were um, not too long before he passed. We were fantasizing about all the things we would do when our son went off to college. Mm-hmm. So, um, so life is is truly precious. And through this journey, I've learned to take it with the the gravity and the just the splendor that that life is. And. I trust your son is getting the support he needs, certainly seeing how you are processing the grief and on your healing journey. I I would think that's a good model for him. Yeah, it's been so um, interesting to watch him and his journey. Grief is just... um, it's such a fascinating is probably not the the best word. It's it's, um, it's such a challenging process, and and it's so different for everybody. Like for me, I immediately went into therapy. It's interesting. Coincidentally, I had found a therapist a couple of weeks before 
Al passed away. So I, I actually think that was divine timing. Um, so I had that support. My son was more reluctant at first to go into therapy. He's actually, he's in therapy now because it's been a couple of years. And, and now I think he's ready to, to go deeper in, in processing his grief. But kids are different. Like, I think kids are so much more resilient than we are as adults. And so I really saw that through him. Mm. And we all have our different time as to when we might be open, say, to having some therapy about it. And therapy can look differently. I, I know decades ago when I went through a serious breakup, not a death, but the way I was able to process was to think of it as a death. So I did a lot of reading. I didn't even think of counseling. So I think we have different paths that we might choose. And so I'm glad that given time, your son saw, ah, therapy, it is a good way to do this. It is. And I think that for, and I encourage this in the book, I know that therapy is not accessible to everyone. There's a great resource that I found called Therapy for Black Girls by Dr. Joy. Um, Wonderful, wonderful community. And I actually went through their website to find a therapist that um, a black woman therapist who was fantastic for me to work with. So I encourage people, there's a lot of resources out there that even if you can't afford kind of in-person therapy, there are now, you know, websites and, and other services, there's community resources, but find find a way to get in touch with a therapist that you can talk to and help you um, because it really did help me move forward and, and process all the complicated emotions and just thought patterns that were just ruminating. Like mm-hmm. there was so much that I kept getting stuck, kind of replaying his death in my mind and, and the guilt and what could I have done? What should I have done? So a good therapist can help you work through that. And that's a, a key point, mentioning the guilt. In your case, the, I think even at the hospital, you know, the doctors perhaps implied that, like, well, why did you wait so long? I mean, how we're not medical professionals. We don't know these things. So others may be, you know, in a car accident and somehow been the distractor or, or whatever the case. There's guilt, potentially, that's mm-hmm. there. And, yes, how to deal with healing past that that emotion of guilt or feeling of guilt? Yeah, I, that was the hardest part in the beginning. Like first it was the shock. Like my body was physically in shock. I was going through panic attacks. So there was a physical part of the grief, but then there's this whole emotional anguish. And part of that is guilt. And I find like through just the different, you know, widows and widowers that I encountered during my my grief journey and folks that have lost other relatives or people close to them, that is, there's almost always guilt. Um, Even when it's something you could not possibly have controlled. But in my case, I, you know, even though I am not a a trained medical professional, I, I don't know these things. I don't know the signs of a heart attack. I still felt that I should have somehow saw the sign and got him to the hospital sooner. So I really had to work through that and let myself off the hook that there was nothing I could have done. Right. 
And then further to that, as as you talk about praying so hard and, you know, asking for the greatest miracle of all here, I was going through that with you and thinking how to be able to accept that, you know, sometimes prayer, that connection is answered in a different way. It isn't what we expect, like, yes, this life is saved, but somehow there were other gifts, answers to that prayer. Yeah, that was another learning, um, kind of losing him and kind of evolving my own spirituality and my own concept of of God and even prayer, because I had been raised in the church and and sometimes had like a transactional view of prayer. Like you ask for a thing and then you expect that exact thing to show up. And to your point, um, it doesn't always work like that. It often does not work like that. And I, at first it was shocking that I was praying so hard and my family was praying and how could he not pull through? How could my husband not, you know, pull through? And, and I've come to, reconcile and and accept and believe now that it was his time. It Mm. was his time to go. Um, And through this book and through my life, and and hopefully my son will take on the torch through his life, we honor his memory and his legacy. Um, And I I really, that's, that's part of why I wrote this book is because I wanted his memory to live on and I wanted it to be a hopefully an inspiration for other people. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I feel that that is such a, an important way for us to really have a, a better understanding. We, we're always going to be learning, but seeing it in this light, I think, is so beautiful. And in that way, because what are we but all spirit, really? Al mm-hmm. spirit continues to live here. We learn about him where we wouldn't have known about him before. Yes, yeah, and I and I feel that I feel his presence, you know, some days, and and you know, I I dream about him, and so I feel like that that's him kind of coming through and, and reminding me he's still in the universe, and um, I take a lot of comfort in that. That is so beautiful. So in this way, this book too is so beautiful. It is just such a great source of uh, support and encouragement for us. And maybe we could just touch on how in your process, you built this, the, I'm calling them the five R's of your meaningful yes. life, right? <laughs> That's really what I should have branded it, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm happy to talk through that briefly. So, yeah, so I came after I um, went through, it was roughly about 18 months of just a lot of trial and error. I, I came up with these five R's um, as I was reflecting back. So the, the first one is really to reconnect with your heart. So I had suppressed so much emotion throughout my life. I, I kind of, I write about in, in the book that I had been conditioned to to be strong. And within the black community, there's, you know, we're often as, as women socialized to be strong black women. And, and that's this archetype of um, just not being vulnerable, not allowing adversity to get you down. You just keep moving forward no matter what. And so I had internalized so much of that that I didn't even know how to feel 
that depth of, of grief and, and pain. Um, so I needed to take some time and space. And in and, and the book you learn, I take some little solo vacations. I, I do therapy, as I mentioned. I journal a lot. And that allowed me to get back in touch with my, my heart and my emotions. Um, the second R is around restoring your body. So I, um, grief is very physical, which I didn't realize. I think a lot of people don't realize um, that there's actually um, a lot of physical, you're actually at more, um, you have a, a weakened immune system when you're going through grief. There's a lot of physical implications for that. So um, I had to get my body back in shape. I was already going into burnout. At the time that my husband died, I was six months into my role as head of DEI at Instagram. And so I was already on the brink of, of not of my body you know, going haywire. So I needed to get back um in control of my body physically. So I started doing yoga and meditation and resting more. So that helped me restore my body. The third part of the, of, of the method uh, is reframing your beliefs. So I had a lot of stories I had learned over my life. I had told myself a lot of stories around who I needed to be and what I needed to be to succeed, especially as um, one of few women, one of few black women in in corporate leadership in the companies that I worked for. So um, I had to reframe that programming of you have to work twice as hard. You have to be twice as good. Um, That really my parents, um, instilled in me. They came from the rural South. You know, they came from segregation. So they, what they knew was hard work and, and education. So, um, so I had had that programmed, but through this journey, I learned that I don't have to incessantly grind all the time. I don't have to strive all the time. Um, And Al's death really put life into perspective. So that helped me to reframe a lot of my beliefs. Um, And then renew your spirit, renew my spirit was the fourth thing. Um, I got in touch with myself in terms of getting to really know who I was, remember who I was at my core. And I did that through I just some assessments like Enneagram. I, I stumbled upon this <laughs> spiritual, you know, yes. right. You wouldn't think the Enneagram, <laughs> <laughs> but that was helpful. I stumbled upon this uh, modality called human design, which is a little bit of astrology and, and, and um, science. So it's a little bit of um, uh, a mixture of, of modalities. So that was helpful going to a grief writing workshop and then reconnecting with like childhood joy and friends. And that actually led to me finding new love in my life, um, which is, I think, a special kind of crescendo in the book. Yes. <laughs> and then the fifth thing is reinventing your routine. So I, I really believe that it, it's helpful to try different things, but in order for them to stick, you have to make it a routine. And so I eventually created new daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly routines um, to make all this stick. And, and all those five things is helped me to lead a life that's more uh, purposeful and more rewarding than, than I was leading before my husband passed. 
it's so beautiful to take all the talents that you obviously have. I mean, you've been in leadership roles, but they were burning you out. But still, you oh, could right, and here you're t- able to take it. You're reinventing and making a much more vibrant life that you can share with the rest of us. Yeah, and that's that's really the central premise of this book. It's like I I learned that life can be so much more abundant when we lean into our natural talents and what we truly are passionate about. I had done so much that didn't necessarily come natural to me. Um, I kind of fit that corporate mold. I followed kind of this cookie cutter blueprint of what it means to be successful in corporate. And yes, I was successful, but I, it turns out that I wasn't happy and I was, I burnt myself out at every turn. And so now what I've learned is that I need to lean into what makes me me, hence the title, Do You. Like, I really do believe if each of us can tap into what is innately our strengths and our passions, then you can still have success, but it's success that is more sustainable because you're not contorting yourself to Mm -hmm. be something you're not or to do something that's not natural to you. Yes, Absolutely, which takes a lot of energy and then zaps the joy. So, (laughs) yeah, right? Really, when you analyze it, it doesn't make sense. So here, to be that authentic self, this is where you're bringing us. Yeah, and it it really is exhausting. Like, I found... So that that's part of like how I was so tired over the years. Not only did I have this wild commute of like two hours each way to work, and then you're in meetings all day. Um, I worked most recently in the tech industry, so there everything is like fast paced, and um, and then you're dealing with the emotional toll of often having to code switch if you're you're someone who's underrepresented. You're trying to kind of make sure that you do the things and say the things and dress a certain way to fit in and, and be perceived as professional and, and, and belong in this kind of corporate fraternity. And that is exhausting. All of that performing is exhausting every day. Yes. So you come to the end of the day, if you have enough energy to say, why, what's this all about? You know, do we have that time to really contemplate what is the meaning of life? Here, tragedy brought you to that place, and we don't have to suffer the tragedy to to learn from someone else. Tragedy may still occur, and this is a good guide to to again be a roadmap as to how to navigate through that. Yeah, I hope this book is received in in both of those circumstances, and I wrote it in that way, and that I do think that. Just like other books on grief were a blueprint for me as I was searching for answers, I hope that Do You can provide that roadmap for others who are going through tragedy in their lives. But I especially hope that it doesn't have to come to that. So I I wanted to write a book that could be accessible for people as a warning system, as like before tragedy strikes or before you have to get so burnt out or... Um, you're so um, 
off the course in life that you can take some of these principles of taking time to slow down, finding joy, reconnecting with yourself. Um, So I really do hope that folks can use this before, before they're in, in a tragic space. Precisely so. And, you know, as you were mentioning, you know, the things that came into your path as you were navigating the healing journey, I was thinking of how when the student is ready, the teacher appears or what we need all of a sudden, we're like this magnet and just to be aware, oh, that's showing up today. This book, Do You, is showing up as the answer to what is going on with so many of us. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Thank you. I, I truly, um, I hope that I, that is, that is definitely my intention. And I firmly believe what you said, that, that what we need arrives in, in the right timing. Like there's a, a, a story I, I tell in the book about just taking some time off and I ended up taking three months of bereavement leave and so thankful that my company offered that benefit. Um, and during that time, I took a solo trip and had this serendipitous encounter with two people. I was eating dinner by myself, and I won't give the full story away, but it was kind of this beautiful moment of being open to what came my way, and these two beautiful souls came my way and really showed me that I wasn't alone in my grief. So. I think hopefully there's little nuggets like that in the book that people pick up on that when you open yourself and open your heart, really magical things happen. Yes. Yes. We, it's all around us, but if we're in the fast lane, you know, so driven that, you know, I have to accomplish all this. We we aren't present for those magical, miraculous moments uh, to be, we're not open to them. They're there, but we can't see them. But we can't see them. I and I relate to that. I feel like ten years easily of my life. I feel like I can't even recall what really happened because I was on this. I was in the rat race. Mm. It was like the alarm goes off and I'm scrambling to get ready for work and then drop my son off and then you know it's just one thing after another throughout the day. And by the time I, I hit the pillow at night, I am so exhausted, there's no time for reflection. Mm -hmm. And then you rinse and repeat. It's like Groundhog's Day. And so, yeah, it's so easy for us to get caught in in life. And we live in a very busy, very noisy world. And so, yeah, that's, that's why I think having time off from work and then the space, like literally going out into um, an area where I was by myself that gave me space to process. So I think that's so important for us to find that in our lives somehow, somewhere, find that time and space for ourselves. That's the gift the world needs. Um, I, I don't know if it would heal everything, but if we could really have that space to have time, not be in this rat race, like what are we accomplishing by a rat race anyway? If we could do this, and we were all in a much more peaceful, joyful state, I think that translates to the world being a more joyful, peaceful place. Oh, my gosh. A thousand percent, yes. Right? And and it's a, it's a reframing, right? Like, I... Mm. 
it's kind of like the movie The Matrix. I feel like <laughs> I'm in the <laughs> You can't see it when you're in it. Yes. <laughs> when you step out of it um, or when you get like jolted or thrown out of The Matrix, in my case, um, then you can step back and see it for what it is. And so for those of us who are in it, that's why taking those moments of solitude, having time for yourself to reflect and unplug, you start to have perspective. Because otherwise, yeah, it's so easy. And we're rewarded in this country, right, for like working hard, putting your head down. Um, we're told that we're supposed to want all of these things and this is how you get ahead. So it's a lot of, you know, reprogramming has to happen. And it starts with, with unplugging. Yes. And before we unplug... Let's talk about your website so people know that that's a resource. They can get connected there, and then you unplug. And then you connect again, and you can unplug. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> While you are connected to the Internet, yes. please visit my website. <laughs> um, it's reginalawless.com. And you, the first thing you'll see is a pop-up to actually download a free chapter of Do You. And so you can get that right off of my website and then stay connected with me through my mailing list that way. And, um, you know, if you're interested in learning more about what I'm doing with my business, Bossy and Blissful, you'll find that there. You'll find a link to the book, which is available. You can pre-order it now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, There's a a few other online retailers, but you can look up that information on my website. And and hopefully you get a copy and and drop me a line and, and let me know what you thought about it. Yes, absolutely. Because again, I can't say enough. It It's really succinct. So in that way, it feels like, okay, not overwhelming. But once you, you know, test the waters, it's like, okay, it's a page turner. And we learn so much. And then we can earmark it and go back to the pages and the points that are really significant and keep evolving. So the book do You is so wonderful. Your website, I think, is such a great resource, Regina Lawless. And I am so grateful that we've had this opportunity to spend some time together and to share you and what you're doing for our world this morning. Thank you, Kate. Again, it's been an honor, and I'm, I'm just so privileged to be here. I appreciate it. You're so welcome. That brings us to the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Regina Lawless and Sunday Morning Magazine with Betsy Beckman and Valimar Jansen. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or to share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 106.9 webpage. Just click on the Listen tab, then Podcasts, then either of the show names, and then look for the guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of finding the joy and the meaning in each and every single day. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning.